Some of you know my father. His name is Ken Parsley. And uh, he's a <laughs> got a shout-out right down there. One shout-out. Thanks for that. I'll tell him. Um, Dad, you got one shout-out. They love you down there. Um, he, uh, he's a great guy. If you haven't met him, you need to. But he's a great pastor. He loves the Word. He's, he's been really a pastor for most of his life, all of my life, most of his life. I think he started preaching the gospel when he was about 16 years old. And he's been doing it and going strong ever since. He's built churches, and he's really a wonderful guy. If you have ever met him, if you've ever seen him, been up to Austin for church, you'll see him wandering around in the hallway, just connecting with people and loving people and caring for people, helping to take care of their needs. He is a great, great man. Um, I've told lots of stories about him, some of them not painted him in the best light, but I'm working on that. But I really do love him. Now, what you might not know is, is that he also had kind of a little acting career. Oh, yes. A little acting career. Um, he actually, you know, in Austin, they make a lot of movies. And so they were making a movie called Parkland. And I think it was, based on, it was based on the assassination of JFK. And I think Parkland Hospital was, I think, where they took him. And so, so they made a movie about that right here in Austin, right here locally. My dad heard about it. And so he went down. He went to go, like, audition to be an extra. And, and so he actually made it in. Look, this, I got a picture of him. This is my dad in the film right there. He looks really good. And everybody, I just want you to know, that's my future. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. That's what's happening. Maria? For the next 20 years. Um, so anyway, and he's, look how cool he looks. Uh, he looks actually, he looks kind of hipster, doesn't he? Looks a little hipster. In fact, I know lots of pastors that wear that exact same thing, probably wearing it this morning. But uh, so he got into the movie, and uh, he was an extra, and they filmed some scenes, and he said it was a blast. He had fun. I think he ultimately got cut, which I can't imagine. I mean, why would you cut that man, right? Why would he end up on the cutting room floor? Because just look at him. But that's not the only thing that he did. Years and years ago, he was in a play at the church we were going to in Yakima, Washington. And he, it was a big play, a big production, and it was about the life of Noah. And so my dad was Noah. So you can picture it, right? Like Sunday, like, like big production, lights and sound and screens and, and music. And, and he was wearing, you know, wearing a big robe and had a big beard. And, and so the production starts. Lights dim. Lights come up. There's music playing. There's lots of things happening. There's, music is swirling and it's a beautiful scene. And, and the introduction is coming. My dad, he steps out. He steps out onto the front of the stage. He walks forward. And the music fades, and the lights come down into a spot right on my dad. My dad is going to open this dramatic production, and he says, Line, please. <laughs> line, please. Can I get a line, please? And someone whispered offstage, Oh, thus saith the Lord. Like, that's, that's the way the production started. Now, if you know my father, you, that, that makes a lot of sense to you, actually. That's just him. And by the way, no shame, no embarrassment. He doesn't care. He could care less. He would just, all through the play, oh, what's, what, line please? Oh, yeah, right. I mean, that's just the way that my dad, Ken Parsley, is. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that before. Statistically, you probably haven't because most of you don't want to do this. You, you, you don't like public speaking. In fact, it terrifies you. Like, statistically, uh, more people here, you're, you're more afraid of public speaking than you are of actually dying. Like, death comes under public speaking for most people, which means you'd rather be the subject at a funeral than speaking at it for most people in the room. So maybe you've never experienced this. I have experienced it from time to time, where you lose your train of thought, or you're, you're in part of a production, and you don't know what your next line is. Or you forgot. You don't know what your role is. 
And I'm telling you, when you don't know what your role is, it's terrifying. You feel lost. You don't have any clue what to do, and you don't know how you're going to get back. Well, today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what that's like. I want to talk to you about your role in the work of God in your life. We've been in this series in Romans, and we called it the first half, chapters 1 through 8, really, 1 through 7, we called Life in the Balance. And these next chapters that we're going to go through all the way through the rest of the book, we're calling it Life in the Spirit, because that's kind of what we're dealing with. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to continue on through this book. But, but before we do this, I just want you to get this big picture of what's happening in the book of Romans. In Romans, it can actually be divided into five sections. In the first section, chapter 1 to the middle of chapter 3, it's really all about sin. It's about what sin is and what's the impact, the cost of sin. And, and it's why Jesus came for all of us in the first place. The second section is kind of the middle of chapter 3 to chapter 5. And that section is all about salvation. It deals with God's answer to our sin problem, and all of us have a sin problem. It talks about how we can be saved. The third section is chapter 6 through chapter 8, and it's about sanctification. It's about what happens after you get saved, and as you kind of pro progress and, and try to become more like Jesus. And the fourth section, chapter 9 through 11, is about sovereignty. And the fifth section, chapter 12 through 16, is really about service. We're going to keep going all the way through all of this as we go. But this morning, we're going to lean into chapters 9, 10, and 11 just a little bit. Because these three chapters are kind of like a parenthesis, like a parenthesis within the book. Because you're going to see it here in a minute, that Paul has Israel on his heart. He has the people of Israel on his heart. Chapter 9 is really all about Israel's past. Chapter 10 is kind of about Israel's present. And chapter 11 is about Israel's future. And when we look at these verses, I don't want you to think so much about, about what they tell us about Israel, although that is really important. Today, I just want you to kind of think about what does this tell us about the nature of God? Because in Romans chapter 9, by looking at Israel, Israel's pasts, we start to kind of learn about God's role and what He wants to do in our lives and how He works. In Romans chapter 10, by looking at Israel's present, we learn a lot about our role, what we're supposed to do, how we participate in what God wants to do in our lives. And really, you can do this all through Scripture. As you look through verses in Scripture, you go throughout the Bible, you can see it. You can kind of dissect them into two places. You see what, God's, what God does and what God's role is. And you see what your role is and what my role is. And those are really important. But today we're going to focus on Romans 10 and our role with God's work. What are, what are our responsibilities in participating with the work of God in all of us? And I think it's worth noting here, everybody, really quick, that this story, this whole story, everything, everything that we're going to talk about today, everything that we've been talking about, everything we will continue to talk about, this is all God's story. It's all his. We're, we are supporting actors at best in the story of God. And thank God he loves us and he includes us. But all we're doing is responding to what he does and responding to the work that he does. This story already has a star and it's not you and it's not me. That's good news, everybody, actually. Romans 10, verse 9, here we go. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's good, isn't it, everybody? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. I think this is one of the clearest passages in the Bible on how to become a follower of Jesus. It's laid out beautifully for us, but, but just go back to the beginning and notice that word, if. If. Verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So God's work, what he wants to do in our lives, it's contingent upon something that we do. 
God's work is contingent upon something that we do. I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about you have to earn it because you can't earn it. It's a free gift that you get when you come to him. You cannot earn it. You can't do enough good to earn it. It's all a response to what he's doing. One of the most important things I think you can do is you, is you read through your Bible. And by the way, everybody, you should be reading through your Bible. There's great plans on the YouVersion app. Pull it out, pick one, and join the fun. We all need it. We need to hear from him. We need to know him. We need to get to know him better. And the Bible is a primary way that we do that. Okay, soapbox finished. But one of the things you can do as you read through the Bible is you start to discover what is God's role in my life and what is my role? What am I supposed to do? Because the truth is, you can't do God's role. You're not able to do it. And, and he's not going to do your role for you. You have to participate. So Paul gives us two things we have to do in order to become followers of Jesus. Two things that, are God's, that, that aren't God's role, they're our roles. It's my role, all right? Two things that I have to do. What are those two things that we just read? Join the church and tithe? No, that's not it. Uh, come to a welcome party and be a part of team one. Kind of. No, that's not it. That's not it either. Um, I don't, wear the right clothes and, and promise to stop swearing and generally say I'm going to avoid sin. No, that's not either. Uh, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do? <laughs> yes, that's it. No, that's not it. None of those things are it. What do we say? Two things you have to do. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. We read it in Romans 10, 9 through 10. Our role is those two things. It's not just one, and both of them are really, really important. Confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, you gotta do both. One is not enough. So let's talk about that. Confessing is not enough. You have to believe. Just confessing it and confessing him is not enough. You have to believe in your heart. A lot of people will say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Totally. I am totes Christ. I'm sorry that just came out of my mouth. <laughs> I really apologize. I am totally a Christian. I, yeah, I love God, love Jesus, love the cross, love the whole thing. It's great. That's good, but you're only halfway there. You're half right, but you're not quite there yet. It's not enough to confess. You have to believe in your heart, or else you become like the people in Titus 1.16. It says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They claim that they know him. They claim that he's good, but by their actions, they deny that they know him. Just confessing is not enough. You have to believe. And that word believe, in the Greek, it means to trust in, to cling to, to rely on, to commit to. Let me ask you something. Does that describe your relationship with Jesus? Are you clinging? Are you relying on? Are you committed to? Are you all in? Do you trust him? James 2.19 says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Even the devil and the demons believe in God, but they have enough sense to shudder, to tremble at who he is and what he can do. But you're not going to find the devil and the demons in heaven. They're not going to be there. The devil and his demons are not committed to Jesus. They are not committed to his mission. The devil certainly has not committed himself to Jesus. See, what happens is a lot of us, we have this head knowledge. We have this thing. We know about him. We read. We think. We listen to podcasts. We we, we, we do all that stuff. We have a head knowledge, but we don't have a heart knowledge. Hasn't gotten down into our <laughs> believer. <laughs> See, I, I can believe in money, but that doesn't make me rich. Would be nice if it did, but it hasn't worked yet. Uh, I can believe in love, but that doesn't make me married. I, I can believe in vegetables, but that has not made me skinnier. It hasn't made me any healthier. I can believe in french fries, and I do. 
But the same thing is true with God, everybody. Just believing in Jesus does not make you a follower of Jesus. The key is commitment. It's commitment. What or whom have you committed to your life to? So when it comes to our role, the question then becomes, what do you believe? What do you believe? What do you trust in? What do you cling to? What are you relying on? What do you commit your life to? Because lots of people say, sure, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross, but that's not what Romans 10.9 says. It doesn't say that you should believe that he died on the cross. It says you believe that God raised him from the dead. There's more to this story than death. There's resurrection life. That's why the resurrection is the central issue in the Christian faith. It is everything to us. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, here Paul's talking about it. It says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. What a terrible and horrible predicament, but we do not find ourselves there today. Because resurrection is real, and it's the central issue. Paul's saying, if there wasn't a resurrection, then everything that we're doing here, this whole thing, the whole morning that we spent here, from 7 o'clock this morning when they, the team came and set all this stuff up, and kids' classrooms and all this, all this is pointless. What's the point of being here if there's no resurrection? See, Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He died for a specific purpose, to rescue you and me to pay for every one of our sins, to pay the penalty for you so you don't have to. But then he rose again. So the bottom line here is, everybody, if, if you don't believe in it, if you deny the resurrection, then okay, but you're just not a Jesus follower. You, you just have missed part of it. You're not a Jesus follower. You can't call yourself a Christian. It's not the reality. And by the way, if you find yourself in that position here this morning, great, I'm glad you're here. You belong here. Come and hang out. Let's talk about it. Let's have the conversation. Let's figure it out together. I want you to know you, you can belong here even for, before you believe all the stuff that I'm talking about here. But we do want to talk about it because it's life changing. But our role is to believe in, to trust in, to cling to, to rely on, to commit to Jesus and the fact that God raised him from the dead. But believing by itself isn't enough either. We also have to confess. We also have to confess, listen, there are no secret agent disciples of Jesus. I'm sorry, but that's not a category. You're sneaking around at work. Shh, don't tell. Don't tell anybody. I'm undercover for Jesus. That's not the way it works. Nobody goes undercover for Jesus. Even those people that are going into the most dangerous places in the world, they're going with wisdom, but they're going full of faith. They're full on. They're not hiding out. There are no secret agents. You can't hide your faith. You've got to confess. So what do we confess? Well, Paul says you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's Lord. You don't confess, oh, yeah, um, I confess I am a Christian. That doesn't work. You don't confess, yeah, I go to church and that makes me good. Nope. That's not the way it works. We don't even confess with our mouth that Jesus is our 
Savior. That's a good thing to confess, but that's not what Paul instructs us. What does he say? We confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord. The word Lord is used around 640 times in the New Testament. It is the primary way, that the single most used word for Jesus. Paul talks about it over and over and over again. C.S. Lewis said it this way in his famous trilemma, and probably some of you have heard it. But he talks about this idea in this. And, and everybody, just so you know, it's not a good sermon unless there's a little C.S. Lewis in it. So and there's three people that understand that and, or think that's funny. Anyway, I digress. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people say about him. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being just a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. This famous idea is called liar, lunatic, Lord. He's got to be one of the three. He's either lied, which means he's really evil, or he's a lunatic on the level of the guy who thinks he's an egg. Or if those things aren't true, then... Maybe it's just true that he is actually who he said he was. And when you say this, when you say Jesus is Lord, what are you saying? You're saying Jesus is God. Jesus is God himself. You're, not, you're saying Jesus was not just a good man. He was actually God. And I think we've kind of neutered all of this stuff when we talk about uh, him being Lord. And we say things like this, and we were really well-intentioned. Like, we meant, we meant well but we ended up kind of saying in services like this, would you just accept Jesus? Would you accept him as your Lord? He just wants you to accept him, just receive him. Look, it's good. Again, we were well-intentioned. But Jesus didn't go around saying, would you accept me? Would you like to accept me? <laughs> Jesus didn't do that, thank God. Jesus never asked us to accept or receive. He doesn't have low self-esteem. He's not having a bad day. He doesn't need for you to accept him. Jesus didn't say, accept me. He walked around and said, follow me. Hey, follow me. Lay down your life. Surrender it all. I'm going to lay my life down for you. Pick up your cross and follow me. Lay your life down back for me. Watch what happens when resurrection life comes into you. Give it all away. That's what it means to say, He's Lord. We got to confess it because God expects our faith to be public. It's not secret. It's public. This is one of the reasons that water baptism is so important. Like we're going to celebrate tonight. When you are water baptized, you are connecting your life story to his story. You're bringing them together and saying, I want to be just like him in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. That's what I want my life to be. Amen. And we're going to celebrate that with a whole bunch of people this afternoon. But baptism is that it's a public confession of your faith. Baptism is saying to the world, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I belong to him. He is my Lord. Baptism is kind of like, it's kind of like the wedding ring of the Christian life. It's this, this symbol, this outward symbol. See, 18 years ago, I said I do to my wife Maria. 
18 years ago, I, we, we stood before the pastor in a little church in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado, and we said, I do. Actually, I think I have a picture of it. There we are. <laughs> um, I, was, I was 13. Um, but that day, that day, Maria looks exactly the same. She has not changed a bit. Um, I may have changed slightly. Anyway, um, so, so on that day, I said I do, and I had no idea what I was getting into. Like, I just didn't know. I, I didn't know what that I do was going to cost me. I, I didn't know all the ramifications of saying I do. And for the past 18 years, I've been working on that. I've been figuring it out. What does that mean? And I'm going to spend the rest of my life figuring out the implications of my I do to Maria. And I'm so honored and happy to do that. But when I got married, she gave me this ring. I have a picture. I think there's a, there's a you see it right down there. You see the ring? And there we are standing. That's how we just stand normally, usually. <laughs> like, it's just in the kitchen or whatever, getting ready for dinner. That's just kind of how we stand. Because we're cool like that. But she gave me this ring. And this ring is really important to me because it's an outward reminder to me and to the world that I'm committed. I'm committed to her. And this reminds me of every time I see it. In other words, she liked it. She put a ring on it. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, I digress. Listen, in the same way, about 37 years ago, I said, I do to the Lord Jesus. And I gave him my entire life, and it changed everything for me. It changed my whole life. And I didn't know when I said it. I was probably about six years old. I didn't know what it meant then. And, and I, I've been working that out for the past 37 or so years I've been working that out, the implications of my I do to Jesus. And as long as I have breath in my body, I'm going to be working out the implications of my I do to Jesus Christ. And just like this ring that I wear because of my wedding, water baptism is like that. It's this outward reminder of the inward commitment. And it has been, and that will continue to be my public confession, public confession of my faith in Jesus. And really, that's what baptism is. It's just, it's going public. I am going public with this thing. And I didn't just say a prayer in the church. Amen. That's not all. I was baptized. I went into the waters of baptism just like Jesus went into the grave. And I came back in resurrection life. And I told the world, I mean this. That's what we're going to do today. So if you haven't been baptized, just sign up. Just do it tonight with us. It'd be great. Uh, if, if you were baptized, it didn't mean anything to you. Just sign up. Do it tonight. If you were baptized as an infant and you didn't make the decision yourself, just sign up and do it with us tonight. It'll be a great celebration. You can text, actually, you can text 313131. If you just text that number, 313131, and text One Chapel, it will send you a link and you can sign up there. Um, or you can go to onechapel.com and just show up at 4 o'clock tonight. We'll baptize at 5. We'll kind of give you a little class, talk to you about it, give you a t-shirt. It'll be great to celebrate with you. Let's wrap this up. So in Romans 10, 9 through 10, what's Paul doing? He's showing us that our role in God's work in our lives is we have a responsibility when it comes to that work. He says, confess it with your mouth. Jesus is. Jesus is. And Jesus is. There it is. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. Here's, I think, the problem that a lot of us have. You take Romans 9 and it deals with God's role. You take Romans 10, it deals with our role. And it's easy to get those two things jumbled together. It's easy for us to try to grab onto things that he's supposed to do and, and not do the things that we're supposed to do. And we end up with some kind of religious counterfeit. It's not real. Like the Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. It looks like it, it smells like it, but it has no power. And everybody, that's not the life I want to live. 
And that's not the kind of church that I want to be a part of. So Romans 10, 1 through 4, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they didn't know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. What I'm talking about is exactly what the Jewish people at this time were doing. They had kind of a semblance of godliness. They talked a good talk and they looked religious, but they'd mixed up their part with God's part and they were completely missing him. They mixed it up and, and we do the exact same thing that they were doing. We do this. We, we don't listen to what God told us. That's what they were doing. It's what we do today. Romans 10 2 says, for I can testify about them. They're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Through the entire Old Testament, God explained to them what they can do and how they can be saved, but they refused to listen. They didn't listen to what he said, and they went their own way time after time after time. Look at that phrase in that verse. It says, they have, they're zealous for God. They have zeal. For a lot of people, religion is a part of their life. And they have some zeal. But for a Jew at this time, their whole life revolved around their religion. It consumed them. It was the centerpiece. These people were zealous for God. Several years ago, I heard about a little girl on TV who had a, a liver problem. And she, she had an issue with her liver, and, and so people heard about it. It was on TV, and so everyone came to her aid. And so they were calling in and asking, how can I help? What, do I, what, what can we do? And, and by the end of the next day, tons and tons and tons, hundreds of people had called in to say, I want to give her one of my livers. They had zeal, but not a lot of knowledge. You have one liver, two kidneys, which I messed up in the first service, but, 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 but one liver. Now, you can give a section, yeah, and they say that that might work, but, but these people are saying, I will, oh, I want to help this little girl. I'll give her one of my livers. Zeal, no knowledge. They missed it. Miss the point. The same thing happens to any one of us. You have a heart for God. You even have several experiences with God, and you have zeal, but you stop doing what the Bible tells you to do, and you start missing out. That's a dangerous place to be. James 1, 22 through 24 says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just listen. Do what it says. What happens when you're not a doer of the word? You stop growing in your relationship with God. You subconsciously start to think, ah, I kind of got this figured out. I'm pretty good. I, I kind of know what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. So the truth is I show up at Sunday and the pastor's not really saying anything that I didn't know except for about the kidney liver thing but but he doesn't say a lot of stuff that i, I didn't know so so you just kind of stop going you stop coming to church and being a part of the body you stop going to groups and you, you don't involve yourself in that and you completely miss the point of everything that we're doing here totally miss out and i don't want you to be that way and what happens is you end up becoming what paul talks about in ephesians 4 he says your infant's Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. You're like an infant, tossed back and forth. And Oh, that sounds good. Oh, this sounds good. That's what they were doing. You can be zealous but still completely miss it because you stop listening to God and doing what he told you to do. That can't be us. The second way that the Jews at this time were, were mixing up God's role and their role and what we do today, we try to save ourselves by our own good works. We read it in verse 3, since they didn't know the righteousness that comes from God and they sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They didn't know God's righteousness would come by faith and they sought to establish their own. Now, that's confusing God's role and our role. That, that, that's not our job. 
And a lot of people make the same mistake today because we try to set up kind of our own religions. And you would say, no, that's silly. But I, I was reading about some of them, just some, just some crazy stuff that's out there. And this one, I'm not sure if I'm going to say it right, but I think it's called Sabud, maybe? And it, it said it was a religious movement based on spontaneous and ecstatic exercises. Well, no thank you. I don't want any of my exercise to be spontaneous or ecstatic. I like it non-existent. That may not be exactly what they were talking about. There is another group of people, and they are into Jediism. No, I'm not kidding. It's a real thing. Jediism. They follow the teachings of the Jedi in Star Wars. They follow them. Uh, they adhere to them. They believe in the mystic, all-powerful force. They wear robes and all that kind of stuff. And believe it or not, in 2013, they were the seventh largest group of religious people in the UK at 170,000 nerds. I mean, followers. <laughs> Dudism is another one that I read about. Dudism comes from the dude in The Big Lebowski. I don't know if you've seen that movie or not. You probably shouldn't. And that one, they just say, hey, man, do as little as possible. It is the slowest growing religion in the world. And you'd read that, so I'd say that, and you'd say, oh, that's, that's stupid. Of course I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I would never do that, really. Because have you ever done this? Salvation by subtraction? <laughs> we do this. He said, oh, if I give up all my bad habits, then maybe I'll just, I can be a Christian. We kind of make it up on our own, make our own rules. If I just stop doing the things that are fun, then maybe I can be saved. And salvation becomes a list of do's and don'ts. Or salvation by service. If I work hard, if I give money, if I volunteer, then I'll get to heaven. If my good works can outweigh my bad works, then I think I can get there. Some people do believe that that's how it works. Or salvation by my own standards. I get to set the rules. This is by far the religion of our culture today. If it feels good, do it. That's your truth, man. If it feels good to you, then how can it be wrong? It must be right. Everybody's setting their own standards, and everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. That's really the spirit of our age today, and it's not right. They're missing it. It's important that we understand what's God's role and what, uh, what is our role, and let the word of God bring the distinction between the two. Let him speak into it so that we don't, even unintentionally, end up with this mass of two religious things coming together in this concoction that completely misses God. That can't be us. Our role is to believe and to confess. To believe and to confess. What is it? To and? That's really good. As we wrap up here, Paul has one more thing. He says in, in Romans 10, once we've done that, Paul says there's one major responsibility. When you've believed and you've confessed, that's not it. You're not done yet. We have another part to play. Romans 10, verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they haven't heard? How can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The responsibility of every Jesus follower is to share this amazing message with somebody else. That's super exciting for everyone today. The responsibility of every Jesus follower is to share this amazing, amazing message with somebody else. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your responsibility. Try to focus in right here. I know they're so attractive. But this is important for us and for our church. There are two things that you can't do in heaven. You can't sin in heaven, and you can't witness in heaven. There ain't nobody to witness to. You can't sin in heaven, you can't witness in heaven. 
So in case you haven't figured this out yet, God didn't put you here on the earth to take up space. God didn't put you here on earth just to hang out. God didn't put you here on earth just to live for a few years and then die and then who cares. Have a family, climb the corporate ladder, make some money. That's not the point. God puts you here on this earth to tell the story of Jesus and what he can do for them. Not to push dogma down somebody's throat, but to tell them about the great love of God who cares so much for them that he sent his only son, part of himself, to die and be raised to life again, to pay the price for every sin. What you're here to do is to partner with the Holy Spirit to see more of the kingdom of God come into your life, into your family, into your extended family, into your workplace, into your neighborhood, everywhere you go. That's why you're here. People walk around and say, oh, the Bible's boring, and I don't really get this Christian thing, and I don't really know. You're missing it. You don't know why you're here. And when you believe, you confess, Paul says there's one more thing, and that is to share the amazing message. And here's a couple points he's making in those verses in verse 14 and 15. God uses people to reach people. God uses people to reach people. He uses you and me. You say, well, but Brent, I, I came to Christ because I read a book. Yeah, somebody wrote it. <laughs> no, I, 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 watched a, I was watching a TV show, and God kind of spoke to me. Like, yeah, someone produced it. Like, There's no other plan. You're it. I'm it. We're the only ones. God uses people to reach other people. You're his chosen vessel. And he loves you and trusts you enough to partner with you to see his kingdom come. It's a great responsibility. I can almost feel it in the room. Oh, no, not me. No, not me. I, I, he, he wouldn't. He wouldn't use me. He does, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but he does, and he loves you. Amen. I know. He, I, I don't know what you've done, but, but he does, and, and he, he paid the price to get rid of it. You don't have to carry it around anymore. Oh, God can never. Yes, he can. He wants to. Every single person in here, you're not too far. He wants you to realize you've got a slot today. God uses people to reach people. And he wants to use you. Are you getting tired of coming to church? Are you getting tired of just sitting in a row? Are you getting tired of passing the plate and taking communion, singing a couple songs? If you're getting tired of it, you haven't realized why you're here. You haven't realized the fullness of how much he loves you and wants to participate with you. You're just not living up to it yet, and you can. God uses people to reach people, which means that, number two, all of us are sent. Everybody's sent. Everybody. So, but Brent, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a missionary. <laughs> I mean, I live here in Kyle. I live in Buda, Santa Margarita, South Austin. I, this is where I live. I'm, I'm not a missionary to a foreign. Whoa, 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 whoa. You are a missionary. You have a mission field. It's right outside these doors. It's, it's literally right in that hallway. It's literally in that lobby that you walked through this morning. It's in your neighborhood. It's in your workplace. For some of you, it's in your family. You are a missionary. You have been sent to share the story, to witness. That's your role. That's our role. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? I just do that so that you don't have to look around or be distracted or think about anybody or what they think about you. Here's the fact. 2.8 billion people in the world have never heard the story of Jesus Christ. 
they don't know the message of salvation that you know. They don't know the immense love of God that you have. Here in Hayes County, from the year 2000 to 2010, the number of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the nuns, the people who say they have no religious affiliation, they don't really believe in anything, they don't follow anything, the number of nuns increased from 49,000 to over 80,000 in that span of time. Look, we can't just ignore this. It's our responsibility. And more than that, it's our opportunity to fulfill all the things that Jesus wants to do with you. It is your great opportunity, and nobody else is coming to do it. We are it. We are the generation that's alive today, and we're the only ones that can do something about it. So with your eyes closed, I just want to ask you a question. When was the last time you shared the story of Jesus and what he's done in your life? When's the last time that story came out of you? When was the last time you invited somebody to church? Hey, come to my church with me. The pastor's kind of a spaz, a little embarrassing. Like, when, when's, when's the last time you invited somebody? Hey, come on, come on with me. Or maybe the best way that I like to think about it, who's going to go to heaven because of you? Whose life has been radically changed by Jesus forever because of your friendship? I don't say that to condemn you. I don't say that to make you feel guilt. I don't say none of that. I don't want, I don't, I want to stay so far away from that. I'm saying that this morning because I want to invite you to the opportunity that you have. Not to put the pressure on you, but to invite you to the incredible opportunity that you have. So if you would with me, I just want us to respond to this. If you have a relationship, if you already have a real relationship with Jesus, if you have believed and you have confessed, if you've done those things, now right where you are, with your eyes closed, I just want you to ask him, would you put somebody on my heart? And just trust that he will. Would you put somebody on my heart that I can begin to reach out to and tell the story? Could be somebody at work, could be somebody in your family. Could be somebody that you've lost contact with, I don't know. But just ask him who and, 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 and receive it. Just believe that he'll speak to you. And now where you are, would maybe just ask him, God, would you help me to share that story this year? Would you help me to be a witness this year? Would you help me to fulfill my role this year with that person? And I'm not talking about a stranger. I'm not, I'm talking, you gotta, it's got to be somebody that you have a relationship with. And if you don't, you've got to build a relationship with them because they have to be convinced that you actually love them. They're not just an evangelistic project for you. You love them. No matter what they decide, you love them. Just ask him, Holy Spirit, put that on our hearts right now, all over this room. All over this room, show us those people and help us to respond this year. Now, as you're doing that, the rest of you maybe. Maybe you've never made this decision before. Maybe you today haven't confessed that Jesus is Lord. And maybe you haven't believed. Or maybe you've only believed and you haven't confessed and taken the next step to say, Jesus, I want you to be God. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to win. You're in control. I'm not. Well, there's good news. You can do it right now. If that's you, 
I want to invite you to pray a prayer like this. Kind of in your own words or say my words. And from your heart, you would just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. And I receive that. Jesus, I confess today that you are the Lord of my life. I make you so. Would you wash away my sins and make me new and help me to live for you? I surrender everything I am to you. Thank you for rescuing me. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, you have started a beautiful new relationship with him, and we want to help you. Actually, as we receive communion here in just a moment, there's a gray card in your cup holder. If you prayed that prayer with me, just take it out and fill it. It'll take you two seconds. Fill it out, the gray card, and drop it in the offering as it goes by here at the end of the service. We just want to help you take some next steps. So now from this position, all of us, we're going to receive communion together. And communion is another one of those kind of outward confessions. And as you take it, would you, would you confess? Let it be your confession that you believe in the body and that it was broken for you. And you believe in the blood of Jesus, that it was shed for you for forgiveness of sins. And receive it into your life today. Let's make this our confession of who Jesus is. As we worship together, the plates will be passed and you can just receive it on your own time as we worship. Let's do that now.